you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to hang out there just for a moment, and we're going we're gonna to be jumping all over Scripture. If you don't have the Word with you, it's okay. We'll have it here on the screen for you. But I want to talk to you today about the principle of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Now, sowing and reaping is not just a biblical concept. It is something that you and I would recognize in the physical like sowing and reaping. So what I want you to consider in thinking about this idea of, of uh, for instance, in a field, you know that if you're going to get a crop in the field and have a harvest, it's because a seed first has been planted. Like that makes sense, right? It just it's like, makes sense. If you want an orange tree, you got to plant some orange seed, right? And so um, that's in the physical, but it's, it's really a picture of the spiritual. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. And today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about this idea of sowing and reaping in the spirit, sowing and reaping in our lives, and the seeds that God wants us to be planting so we can reap our harvest of righteousness in our own life. This passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church just like this church here in North Place. He's writing to a church like you and I, and he's writing to them about an issue of another church that's having a difficult time. And he reaches out to them and he's asking them, would you please consider planting seed so that this church could be helped? And in that moment, he's talking about their financial resources. He's talking about, hey, could you take the seed that God's given you and, and, and plant it in this field so this church can be helped? Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. It says this, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply... And increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving. So he takes, the Apostle Paul takes this metaphor of seed and said, look, God gives you seed for all kinds of things. Um, He gives you seed for bread for you to feed your family, to, to, to sow seed in the field, bring seed back. Feed your family, feed yourself. God gives you seed to, to meet your needs, pay your bills. But he also gives you seed that you plant in the kingdom of God. Are you with me so far? He gives you seed that you can plant in other, other places. The problem is, the Apostle Paul is alluding to this, is that many people eat all the seed. They eat all the seed. That God gives them seed, yes, for planting and for bread, Right? But he also gives them seed to plant seed for the kingdom of God to be advanced. And he's alluding to the problem that some people eat all the seed, right? And not what happens is that they not only eat all the seed, they don't have anything to plant, not only for the kingdom of God, but many times in their own life. And so they end up kind of bankrupting themselves in, in the process. What, what am I saying as I get started? Here's the main thought that I want you to hear today is this point, if you're taking notes, that not everything God gives us is for us. Not everything God gives you is for you. Um, You are not meant to be a dam that holds back the blessing of God. You're, You're called and designed to be more like a river that God flows through, that he he pours things into your life. And the question is, can he trust you with what he gives you? Can he trust you? Will will you be one that he can pour into and a river, you're like a river that flows out, that yes, eats seed for bread, feeds you and your family, takes care of your needs, 
but all, can he trust you that you'll be a river of blessing to other people around you into the kingdom of God, into your church? Will you be a river or will you be a dam? We say, well, I don't know if I can trust God that he'll take care of my needs. I think the real question is, can God trust you? Can God trust you? So I want to talk to you about this idea, and the reason why it's a big deal is because I believe even now in 2022, um, there's something that's crept into the church that I think around the world, we, it has to be dealt with. Um, when uh, my, my sons were much uh, younger, I used to surprise them by taking them to McDonald's, right? And we'd show up. Do they do the Happy Meal here? Is that like, okay, everybody's happy with the Happy Meal. All right, all right. So my kids used to love when I would surprise them every now and then. We'd surprise them and take them to uh, McDonald's and they would get a Happy Meal and they would have, uh, we say fries, you say chips, right? And they would have their chips on the table and every now and then I would finish my meal and then I would sometimes, not all the time, I'm a little hungry, and I might reach out and try to grab one of their chips. And you know what my sons, even at a young age, would do? They'd go, mine. Mine. They'd, like, like guard it, right? Now when I do that, if we're at a restaurant, they go, Dad, aren't you on a diet? What are you doing, right? All right. Eee. Keeping it real. All right. So, so I, I, here's what I'm saying is I think there's a little bit of mine that's crept into the church, where we, God has given us a pile of chips, and when he sometimes prompts by the Spirit to reach over and say, hey, I want you to share that, we, we go, mine, we go, mine. So I want to speak to this, and I come to you with, with a pure heart about this. I, I'm not going to gain anything by talking to you about this. Sometimes when pastors talk about money, the, the oxygen kind of gets sucked out of the room. Right, there's a, ugh. but because they're wondering, well, is this self-serving? This is, you know, is this the thing that's in the church or they just want money? No, I, I come to you, I, I'm not going to, there's no, nothing for me to gain to talk about this. Pastor Randy had, didn't tell me to talk about this. this is, th I believe this is an area that needs to be addressed in the church. And so I just, I want to encourage you to maybe allow the walls that you might feel in your heart as we talk about this to come down, to come down. I think, uh, Many times we, we end up losing sight that, that God has given all that we enjoy in this life. One year when we were, we were inside of a store and my youngest son, Landon, who was about seven, wanted to, um, he wanted to get his mother a gift for Christmas, but he was seven years old. He didn't have any income, didn't have any, didn't have any money. And, and so um, I said, uh, well, yes, you can give get your mom a gift, and I told him something, you know, give him a budget, right, small, right, and I, he, he picked a gift, I purchased the gift, he, we wrapped the gift together, and then on Christmas, he gave this gift to his, to his mom, and um, he stood in front of her, she opened the gift, and he's just standing there all proud, um, he goes, mom, I, I got you a gift, and she was happy, she was excited, she gave him a big hug, but how many of you understand and know, he didn't buy that gift? Now, I didn't, like, shove him out of the way and say, I bought the gift. <laughs> no, he didn't buy the gift. His father bought the gift. His father bought the gift. And some of us begin to associate what God has given us, and we begin to think, it's actually mine. I mean, even the gifts we give here, that's not, 
that's not your money. That's not my money. It's God's money. And he's given us the gift of stewardship. Stewardship means I just take care of it for a little while. How many know you don't get to take the money with you when you die? I mean, you could try. It'd be a little weird. <laughs> not going to be able to spend it. But you're not able to take it with you. We just steward it for a little while. And the question is, can God, can God, can God trust us? Um, when we look at Scripture, um, Jesus talked about money. Um, it was probably the second most topic that he talked about in his teaching. He talked about it all the time. Why did Jesus talk about money all the time? Um, he talked about it because he knew you and I would use it, think about it, every day of our lives. So it would make sense that he would ta have to talk about and speak to this issue in our lives because how much interaction we would have of, over it. And he didn't want money to master us. And so as Jesus taught on this, and I believe even now, that God is wanting to speak and have, again, fresh, healthy revelation and leadership in the church where we can walk in the joy and the freedom that Jesus wants to have for us in, in this area uh, of our lives. Um, I think some of the issues of why sometimes generosity doesn't flow in our lives is for a few reasons. And I'll let the Spirit of God kind of speak to you about maybe where you land on this, all right? So, and, and I, could, I could at some point in my life have experienced each one of these in my own mind, all right? So the first reason many times of why a follower of Jesus might not be giving financially toward the things of God are, are a couple of these things. One, maybe there's just a lack of understanding. They, they don't understand what God teaches in this area. They don't understand what the Bible teaches on this area. Well, here's a good thing. That's being solved this morning, all right? Uh, number two, maybe it's a lack of trust in Jesus. Like you don't believe, you don't believe that if you give, God will actually take care of you, right? There's a lack of trust. You're, you're afraid. Maybe you do understand what the word of God teaches in this area, but there's a lack of obedience. You're rebelling in this area. You're not submitting to Jesus in this area. Maybe you say, maybe you say, um, well, honestly, I, I would just go back to something just for a moment and say this, that many of us trust and believe God for all kinds of things. How many of you have trusted God for salvation of your soul? That he's, you've given your life to Jesus, you've received him into your life, and you're looking forward to eternity with him. How many of you have made that decision in the room? Okay, a lot of, a lot of decisions, all right. So some of us have entrusted our eternity. I mean, that's the greatest thing you can do is lean the weight of your life on Jesus and entrust him with your eternity, but you cannot or yet have not entrusted him with your finances. Like you can trust Jesus with your eternity, but you won't trust him with your money. And what I would say is what that makes you is a financial atheist. A financial atheist. You trust God in all these other areas, but when it comes to your money, you do not trust or listen or obey God. And so this is just a loving, honest truth that I bring to you from the word. Bring the walls down and say, Jesus, I don't just want to follow you on Sunday. I, I don't want to just follow you in 90% of my life or 98% of my life. I want to follow you in every area of my life. And so let me just, you know, as preachers of the gospel, preachers of the word, we're called to preach the whole counsel of God not just what's easy. So, I, I, it's so I'm so desperate that you, you come into a place of submitting to the Lord in this area of your life and, and more importantly, walking in the joy and the freedom that comes with it. 
when it comes to this area uh, of your life. Um, maybe you say, maybe you would add one other area. Maybe you'd go, hey, I don't give because I don't have it to give. I, I don't have any money. I, I'm, um, we, we are struggling as a family. We're struggling in this area of our life. And, um, and to you, I would point to a passage in Scripture in Luke chapter 21 where Jesus points to, um, points to this very topic. All right, listen to this. Luke chapter 21, verse 1 says this. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. They were just dumping their money. They had a lot, right? And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. So imagine like ten cent, a couple of 10-cent pieces, you know, the smallest coin in South African coinage. You can imagine a couple of those. It says that she says, widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Jesus says these words, truly I tell you, the poor widow has put in more than all of them, all the other rich people that were dumping their massive wealth into the temple, giving offering box. He's, here's why. He says, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. All right? So that tells us two things. The first thing is Jesus shows us that poverty or being poor isn't an excuse for not practicing financial generosity. If Jesus says, I want to show you what generosity looks like in the kingdom of God, he doesn't point to the rich, he points to those that are impoverished or those that are poor giving. Wow. Wow. It also shows us that you can be giving out of your much and still not be giving sacrificially. And so some of us, maybe you're in the room and you, you're giving, you feel good about your giving, man, I've got this down, I'm checking that box, I feel good. But if you're honest, you're not giving sacrificially, you're giving out of your abundance, Jesus says. So it's really, it's really, it's really important that we get honest with ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth to us. Because we are the first ones to lie to ourselves. We can be blinded in our own lives and, and not even know it. And so we need the word of God. We need the truth of God. We need the spirit of God to, to like, like King David said, search me, O God. Search me because we can, we're the first ones to, to uh, lie to ourselves. Now, that difficult statement of saying that, um, saying that Jesus shows us that poverty isn't an excuse for not being generous that might sound really harsh. Like he might go, man, how, what are you saying? How can you say that? I mean, do you know what that's like? And I would tell you I do. I do. I grew up in a home that was very broken and dysfunctional on a whole, whole lot of levels. My father had left me, uh, left our family before I was born, left my mom. Uh, and my mom, our entire lives, struggled financially to put food uh, on the table um, Yet, let me tell you what I watched her do throughout um, my entire childhood is that I watched her in impossible circumstances continue to give toward the things of God my entire life. Like, you didn't go and ask for things. <laughs> there wasn't any asking for gifts in the store. I mean, there's just like the answer. You knew the answer was no. You just didn't ask. There was many times where um, sometimes... We would get to the end of a week, and there wouldn't be anything in the cupboard. There wouldn't be anything in the fridge. And I'm not being, I'm not exaggerating here just to make a point. I'm just telling you, 
we were a very, very poor family. But no matter what, if my mom were able to scrape away, scrape some hours together uh, of work, and, and when, she, when she had work, and when she, as she was working, um, and she was trying to wonder how, how, how I'm going to pay for this bill. We, we water someti- our water sometimes was turned off. Our electricity would get turned off from time to time just because there wasn't enough money going around. But let me just tell you what I watched her do my entire childhood. She kept giving and putting God first financially in her life. Right? And not only did I watch her model that in the midst of a, being in a poor household, I watched, as she modeled that, I watched God provide. We would get into those weeks where we were, we literally were looking around as a family like we did not have food. We, we did not have, we didn't know what we were going to eat um, that, that evening. And God miraculously would, 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 would just do some, would do some beautiful things. I remember on a, um, one evening we were in that very same place and, um, we had just kind of resigned ourselves that we was weren't, we were not there wasn't going to be a real meal that night, and um, we saw some headlights pull up into the driveway of the the, the the home that we were in, and they 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 went across the wind the lights went across the windows, and we all kind of got up in the living room, and my mom opened the door, and and there was a screen door there, and all of a sudden we saw wife walk up one of the pastors of our church. I remember his name was Bobby Miller, and he was carrying a a full bag of food and groceries could not have known where we were as a family, but that resource and God provided. But I watched my mom give in the midst of poverty, and I watched God provide. God provide, all right? So I want to encourage you with that that today, that God is faithful. You know, when you think about the idea of giving and, and being a part of what God is doing in the kingdom of God, we have a good giving God that's modeled this for us. Like God himself, it's not like God is telling us to do something that he's not modeled himself. Listen to Acts chapter 17, verse 24, it says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since, listen to this, he himself himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He is the one that provides it for us. And we serve a gracious and and good God. But let me just tell you about our good and gracious God. He wants the glory. He wants his glory. He wants acknowledgement that he is the good and gracious and giving God. He wants the glory. And you might go, well, whoa. I mean, that sounds kind of egotistical. Why does he want and need the glory? If you're taking notes, I want you to think, take this thought down because I think this is valuable. That God is the only one that can be given all the glory and everyone else be the better for it. God is the only one. He's the only one that when you give him all the glory, it's actually for the betterment of the rest of the world. Right? Any other person, any other organization, any other uh, uh, brand, any other uh, person of power or strength, anybody else that seeks all the glory breaks people and breaks organizations. But God is the only one when he gets the glory, it's actually for the good of everyone else. Right? So in doing so, this idea of, of God getting the glory, God's trying to, we see glory as God may be egotistical, but it, it's about acknowledgement. God wants us to acknowledge 
that he is the one that provides it for us because when we acknowledge that he is the one that provides it, we're reminded that, oh yeah, I don't pull it together, he does. That's what this whole idea is all about. It, it causes, I think one of your steam, team members just shared when it comes to giving, that it causes gratitude to well up within us when we're reminded, oh, it's God the one. He's the one that, that gives it. He's the one that provides it for us. How many of you um, parents have tried to teach your kids to be grateful? You've tried to teach your children to be grateful. And maybe you've done it like this, right? Like with my boys, I'd be giving them something when they were little, and i put it in their hands. And as I put it in their hands, I'd go, before I let it go, i say, what do you say? What do we say? What do you want them to say? Thank you. You're trying to teach them gratitude. I'm giving you something that you don't deserve, an outside uh, an outside gift that's coming to you that you could not have had on your own. I'm giving this to you. And the response then is gratitude. We're teaching them that. And yet God is wanting to do that in our lives. He wants to teach us to be grateful. He's putting some things in our hand, and yet many of us presume and assume, and we just take it and receive it, and we go, mine. And God wants to move us to a place of, of not only receiving, but being grateful for what we've received from him. Um, the reason why I think this is, is, is powerful is because, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back just for a second and like go to a 30,000 foot view for you to see something just for a moment, but we serve and love a covenant making God. A covenant in scripture is this idea, it's an agreed upon promise with God, right? An agreed upon promise, if you do this, I'll do this. I've done this, and my, my expectation, expectation is you're going to do you're going to do this. And God made several covenants or contracts with His people throughout Scripture. Um, there's several of them. I'm only going to talk to you kind of about a main one, and that's the Mosaic covenant, the, the the Levitical law that we find in in the Old Testament. And there, that's when maybe you've heard anybody heard of the Ten Commandments. Or the Ten Commandments, right? So that was part of that initial uh, covenant with with the people of God. That hey, listen, I love you. I'm here for you. This is my expectation as we walk together in, in the Lord. And God, as God made several covenants, um, He begins to reveal His expectation. And so I want you to look in Leviticus chapter 27 in regards to the first covenant of this idea of what our giving financially or what that looks like for us. Look at Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 and 32. That's what we're going to look like just for a moment. It says this, every tithe, say tithe, tithe means 10%, right? Every tithe, right? Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. It is holy. Say holy. holy. It's holy to the Lord. Verse 32, it says, every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to, to the Lord. So um, remember, they're an agrarian society. Like their idea and carrying of, of doing in their economy of wealth was uh, trading. Like this, I can purchase this, I have this, we trade this, I'll give you this. So it wasn't money per se, it wasn't ran per se, but it was an agrarian society. So in this first picture, their wealth or their stuff or their, their finances were, were these things that they produce and would gain through trade. So he says this, that, that every, for every 10 bushels of wheat, one bushel is to be brought in as the tithe, and the tithe is holy. This is one out of every 10, 10, 10%. Now, here's what a lot of people think, that tithing is about generosity. Tithing is not generosity. Tithing is not generous. You're not, when you tithe, you are not being generous, 
you're being obedient. When you tithe, you're not being, oh, I'm look at me, I'm so spiritual. Look at me, I'm, oh, I'm giving, woo, pastor, look, I'm tithe, I'm, look, I'm generous. No, 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 no. Um, the tithe, when we tithe, it is about obedience, all right? And it is an opportunity when we tithe to recognize, why did God have them tithe? It's because every time they tithe, every day they tithe, every week they tithe, every month they tithe, every year they tithe, they're reminded, wait a second, God is the one that gave me all that I enjoy. And to remind me of that, God asks for the tithe to be brought in. Not ask, actually, he commands it. He commands it. He commands that the tithe uh, be brought in. But there's another reason. And this you might seem like it's a byproduct or it's ancillary, but he, he has them do it for another reason, that he uses the tithe that's brought in into the temple to feed the priests in the temple, to feed the Levitical priests, to take care of the, the widows and the orphans and the benevolent needs of the community. That's how those needs were met by the people that brought in the tithe. So if you're taking this thought down, tithing wasn't about being generous. It was about, there it is right there. It was about obedience. It about, it's about obedience. Now, let me, let me, let's like think about it like here in, in the here and now to make this idea come to light. So let's say that you have your son and you bring your son up to you and you go, hey, I'm going to give you a hundred rand. And every time I give you a hundred rand, you're going to give me 10 rand back every time. Right? So I give my son a hundred rand. He says, yes, dad. Yes, father. I'll give you 10 rand. He gives me 10 rand back. Now, when he gives me 10 rand back, when I give him a hundred is he being generous or is he being obedient? He's simply being obedient. Like, he's not being generous. I just gave him 100 rand. He's simply being obedient. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus is trying. Uh, Jesus uh, seeks to lead us in this idea of, of, of being obedient and walking with him, following him in our lives. God was saying, listen, the first 10% is mine, it's not yours. All of it's mine. I gave it to you freely. I love you. But, but the first 10% is mine. Now, he gave them other opportunities. They could bring in other offerings over and above the 10%, and that is generous. That is worship to the Lord. But the first 10% is not generosity. It's obedience. All right? It's important that we kind of get that in, in our head and heart uh, in, in this morning. So in their brokenness, and just like in 2022, in their brokenness, the people, we're not any different the people began to drift from this covenant. They began to go, ah, I, I want to keep it. They had that mind mentality, I'm going to keep it for myself. And so the people of God began to drift, and they stop, they stop bringing in the tithe, or they don't bring in the best. Like, they don't bring in the best lamb from the flock. They're looking for the one that's broken or diseased or it's got a little limp going on. <laughs> They're bringing that lamb into the temple because they don't want to bring God their best. Or maybe they'd fudge a little bit on, on the tithe. They might not bring in the tithe. They bring half the tithe or a little bit and act like it was the whole tithe. And God says, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he brings an indictment against them in the book of Malachi through the prophet. Listen to this. In uh, uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse, verse 8, this is God just, he's ringing the bell right now. Here, here it is. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, God? And God's, in response to the prophet Malachi, God says, in your tithes and your contributions. He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring in the full, say full. 
Bring in the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. He says, I want you to test me in this area, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. I will rebuke the devourer. Uh, it says, I will rebuke the devourer so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Right? So this very idea, God says, test me. I want you to test me. You're robbing from me because you don't believe that I'm going to provide. That's the reason you're doing this. You're not bringing the whole tithe in because you don't believe that I'm going to provide. And God says, I want you to, I want you to, to test me. Why does he say, he say that? He, he, he says that because he knows that's where their unbelief lies. They, they're not willing to test him. They're not willing to try. So they, they hold back. He's saying, you think you need that first 10% more than you need my blessing. Take this thought down real quick. Here it is. 90% with God's blessing is better than 100% without it. Like it's better to have 90% of your wealth be blessed by God than 100% without God's blessing and walking under a curse. Now, none of us likes to hear that. But some of the, some, sometimes the first question I ask someone in my church family there in Texas, in Houston, is when they are struggling financially, and I will kind of deeper discussion, pray, kind of get an unreal understanding of what's really going on. And at some point, if I feel a release in the spirit, I will ask them, are you giving? Are you giving? You're struggling. You always seem to be struggling financially. And what I found, find almost all the time is they are not. They have a white-knuckled grip on their stuff and their things. And because of that, they're not walking under the, they're not walking in blessing when it comes to the resources in their life, all right? Um, so let me, so I say this all to say, that was the old covenant. That was the law of the Old Testament, right? That that's how they gave. Like up into the point where Jesus is walking on the earth, teaching and bringing in, talking about the kingdom of God and what he was about to do and what he was doing, the people, even up to the day that Jesus went to the cross, they were going to the temple with their tithe. This is how we do it. This is how we give. And Jesus comes to actually transform all that. He comes to transform all that. And I think this, this is going to be a gift to us. So I don't believe that God wants us to be walking with the tithe whip across our back, the law, the whip across our back. But I do believe that the, the, the biblical pattern of the tithe can be an inspiration for us. The biblical pattern can show us what it looks like to be, to be walking in obedience in this area. So, so Jesus didn't come to negate the old covenant. He didn't come to, to, to trash it. He came to fulfill it. And when Jesus came and he lived a life of holiness, he lived a life that you and I could not live. He died the death that you and I deserved on the cross. And he rose from the grave. And when he did that, he brought into place a new contract, a new covenant that's signed with blood, right? He brings in a new contract. And, and right before Jesus goes to the cross, he says this. Look at Luke chapter 22. Um, it says this. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, 
The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So a new covenant, a new way. And so what's the new way? What's the new covenant, right? So now you're not earning your salvation by checking all the Old Testament law boxes, trying to get it all right, trying to get it all into the temple, trying to, no, no, no. Now Jesus says, actually, I'm going to check every box for you. I'm going to live my life of holiness, my sacrifice of my laying my body on the cross, my, my death on the cross, my resurrection. Now you're going to take hold of righteousness, not in your hard work and your energy and your efforts. Now you're going to take hold of rightness or righteousness by placing your faith in Jesus. So we lean the weight of our life, and maybe you're here today, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Maybe in your mind, your whole life has been built trying to run on a treadmill of how can I be good enough, holy enough, strong enough in my own, in my own if I can do enough religious activity, I can somehow earn my way into heaven. And Jesus says, no, I've, I've actually done the work for you. Place your faith in me, lean the weight of your life on me, and we get the promise of eternal life with him. But along with that, as we place a genuine faith in Jesus, all of a sudden it ignites a love for God and a love for other people, right? So if the old covenant was this list of, what, 316 laws they kind of had to, they had to keep up with, um, Jesus, they asked Jesus, okay, if that's been, if you're somehow bringing transformation of how we follow, follow the Lord, follow God, what does it look like? They say, what's the greatest commandments? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God. And then love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. So Jesus takes it from really uh, the, a legalistic law to a law of love. All right, so where am I going? So Jesus changes, Jesus transforms the idea when it comes to our money, how we get, how and why we give. Like before, you would, you would have to think, okay, what are you supposed to give? 10%. We count the wheat, count the wheat, count the, count the sheep. One, okay, 10. This one goes. And there's kind of, you got to get it all got to get it all done but now now Jesus comes along and says now there's actually a new way it's driven by love not the law it's driven by love and so it transforms how people give it trans takes us from this is what I have to give to this is what I get to give I mean that's how the church we're sitting here but this the church didn't always exist I mean when the church launched let me just show you real quickly what the church looked like looked like um Acts chapter 4 verse 32, it says this, um, now the full number of those who believe, this is the beginning of the church as we know it, the first church, the first north place, all right? So now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. No one had said any of the, no one said that any of the things they belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses or sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. But what I want you to see is not only was the power of the Spirit was running, the fruit of the Spirit was rolling. Some of us, we want to see the power of the Spirit. We don't want the fruit of the Spirit, right? So the authentic power of the Holy Spirit is always accompanied by the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, right? Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All that is flowing along with the power of, of the Spirit as well. So now, notice their reaction as a church wasn't, what do we have to give? What's the percentage? What do I got to do? What do, I, what do we need? I don't want to 
somebody, I can't, I already gave, I don't, they should give. No. All of a sudden, the church responds to this massive ocean of love, of generosity, of giving because they've experienced the sacrificial giving of Jesus. And that begins to flow and model. They don't dam up their resources. They flow like, like a river. And what is that? how does that change us when it comes to love? Look at this. Love doesn't look for excuses. It looks for opportunities. Like maybe when it comes to giving, you've just had a litany of excuses on the inside of your heart and mind of why you can't, won't, and why you don't, right? But love doesn't look for excuses. Love looks for opportunities. How can I be a part of what you're doing? Like, very honest with you. I know when I'm walking in the flesh, when it comes to the area of my finances, when I've got all kinds of excuses going on in here about why I don't have to or why, why somebody else ought to now or I, somebody else ought to. I don't have. I can't. Um, I shouldn't have to. All that comes when my heart is moved from um, from love to a place of selfishness and unbelief, right? So love doesn't look for, uh, love looks for opportunities. It doesn't make excuses. It doesn't make excuses. Um, so we talked about this idea of, at the very beginning, we talked about this idea of sowing. Scripture tells us, I got some seeds right here. Got a seed right here. Scripture tells us that if you sow uh, uh, sparingly, you reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully much, then you reap much. Now, how many would get that? Like, if you sow a bunch of seed, you would get a bunch of whatever you sowed, right? If you sow just, like, one or two, you're, you're going to get maybe one, right? Because they don't, sometimes they don't all come up. But this idea of sowing sparingly and sowing uh, uh, bountifully, um, you, I, you probably get this, that you don't reap what you don't sow. You don't reap what you don't sow. If you don't sow a seed, you're not going to get that crop. And that principle is just as true now here in, um, in, in our lives in 2022 that we cannot reap what we do not sow. You cannot plant, you can't get an orange tree um, when you've not planted orange seeds. You, you get what you plant. You get what you plant, all right? And so here, here's where I want to land. I'm starting to kind of come in for a landing here this morning, and that's with this, is that if you want to change the fruit that's in your field, you've got to change the seed that you're planting. If you want to change the fruit that's coming up, or maybe you look at the field and go, it's desert. It's just, it's empty. The, the harvest field is empty. Listen, if you want to change, if you want to change the fruit, you've got to change the root. And some of us have been planting, maybe we're not planting anything at all in this area of obedience to Jesus in our giving. We lift our hands, we clap, we sing these songs as if we're obedient and loving and following Jesus in every area of our life. When if we're honest with ourselves, maybe in this area we've had a mind mentality. Maybe your next step, and all of us have a next step, maybe your next step is to plant a seed that you've not been planting. Maybe it's beginning to, to put in the, in the field what you've not been sowing, you've, that, that God is calling you to not eat all the seed, but begin to plant so that you can begin to see a harvest of righteousness in your life. Listen, do you believe that can God can give you enough seed to feed your family, but also give you enough to pour into the kingdom work of God? Do you believe that? I, I'm wondering if you do. It's so crucial that we, we move beyond the amen. 
and we move beyond hands lifted, it, this is the reason why Jesus had to talk about this so much is because he knew how most people are mastered by eating all the seed. They're mastered by unbelief. They're mastered by fear. So some of, maybe for some of us, and I've, I can say this because I've been there, maybe for you, your next leap of faith, maybe it's not placing your faith in Jesus. You've done that with your life. You've leaned the weight of your life on him. Maybe your next big discipleship moment of becoming a deeper follower of Jesus is trusting God with your money. Maybe that's the next taking hold of the white knuckle grip you've had on the seed and saying, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. All the blanks aren't filled in. I don't know, but God, I believe all that I enjoy in this life you've given to me. And so I don't want, I want to stop eating all the seed. I want to trust you that I can step out in faith and you're going to give me enough seed. You're going to give, give me enough seed that, that you want me to test you in this. Maybe for you, the next test is not one that God gives you. It's a test that you test God. You test God. You go, God, I'm going I'm to step out in faith. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to look at your promises and your word and, and begin to plant seed that you've not planted before.